0: so I found this interesting explanation of like the ascendant plus the descendant. Your ascendant basically it sets the tone for everything you do so it's like your genre of your personality whereas the descendant is the opposite sign of the ascendant. The descendant is who we are behind closed doors, who we are with our loved ones at our most vulnerable, pertains to the person we are in relationship dynamics. So I looked at yours, well, you're a Sagittarius Ascendant, right? Rising? That makes you a Gemini Descendant. This is a short little like snippet of what that sort of means in conjunction together. And it says, these people are ruled by Jupiter and often try to burn themselves out by obsessing over people and things that even slightly interest them. But they might struggle with admitting to their vulnerabilities and keep people at a distance because of this. And the last part didn't really make sense to me with you. But I was thinking then, maybe you've made a big effort to sort of acknowledge your flaws or something like that, or your vulnerabilities.
1: No, I feel like acknowledging flaws and vulnerabilities are different things. I feel like my vulnerabilities, I just can't hide, Um, which is in itself a vulnerability. Like, I don't have to admit to them, they're just obvious.
0: I think this does relate to our topic. But okay, quickly to read mine. I'm an Aries ascendant, Libra descendant, which is fun, because that's your sun sign. These are people ruled by the planet Mars. They often seek passion and underlying meanings behind what the world has to offer. They might be erratic or impulsive, but are quick to sacrifice everything for what or who they believe in. And this is really striking to me because I think passion is something I've struggled with my entire life. I don't care about anything at all. And so it's really hard for me to enjoy life. But yeah, this is affirming to me. Hope it's affirming to you.
1: <laughs> kind of felt like I got rid of the filth and I'm like, cool, what do I do with that? <laughs>
0: All right, let's go. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Roses All Trash. My name is Ryan. I'm Catherine. And this is the second episode for march 2021 our theme for this month is self-capture and this week we are doing something a little different this week all of our material was visual they were just videos (laughs) no readings this time instead of describing them all at the top of this episode we're just gonna go through them make this a much more spontaneous discussion but we will start with like a literal description and a reflection um, because really I think these visual pieces aren't nearly as impactful without sort of the personal reflection that's going on, right? They have made their legacy through the reflection of the people who are viewing them, not just
1: like whatever they are on their own. All right, so let's start with Victor and Rolf, fall, winter, 1999. I'm not sure, it's unclear to me whether this is the official name or whether it's sort of an impromptu nickname, but it's known as the Russian Doll Collection. In the collection, there's only one model, Maggie Reiser, and she stands on a little motorized podium that's low to the ground, but still elevated in this very simple rucksack sort of shift underneath the chandelier. And throughout the show, instead of having different models wearing different outfits walk out, two assistants come out and take garments and dress her. And with each garment, they place it over the last garment. So they dress her in these increasingly large layers of clothing, over and over and over again, with various materials from like very dull drab, like plain materials, to intensely ornate, embellished, sequined, embroidered pieces. Finalizing in this huge brown gray plain cocoon with a flower created on it out of the same fabric. And throughout this whole process, the model very slowly rotates with each garment for the garment or for the audience to view and at the end she stands immobilized cocooned in these garments with flowers placed around her feet
0: I'm not really the best at understanding right away what everything means I was never I never took a class in like film analysis I had to do film analysis for some of my classes but I was never really taught how to do it and so I I see stuff like at museums or online and I'm like oh this feels important but I can't really pinpoint what it is and it really helps me to verbally process. So I mean really simply put what do you think was the significance in it going from like sort of simple to ornate?
1: I think the hidden layers and the decadence this collection overall is about like futile, cyclical nature of fashion shows. Andrew Leon Talley referred to it as the Viagra of fashion this particular show, and I don't even know what that means. (laughs) What was he saying? In an almost cliché interpretation, this idea of, like, inner beauty obscured by outside draftness, and also sort of an ode to the level of craftsmanship and quality produced by this atelier and the people who create these garments. And I think in terms of the reference to fashion cycles and fashion trends. It's really interesting how each garment literally obscures the last garment. It blots out whatever came before it.
0: It definitely made me think of the sort of like Marie Antoinette scene where she's being dressed layer on layer on even even the final silhouette where the shoulders are so puffed and it did make me also think about something you told me, the movie Marie Antoinette starring Kirsten Dunst. Is remarkable to people who know what they're looking at because of the quality and like the amount of f- fabric of clothes that there is, if you know fashion history as well, and how expensive and difficult to get those garments were. So
1: that feels like a marker of luxury that people no longer really consider because we're used to fabric and garments being at a much lower price point than they once were because it once took like an insane amount of work like you'll see portraits of people and they have like these lace cuffs and people be like, Oh, that's beautiful. They have like an expensive dress with lace cuffs, but they don't understand that a single lace cuff, like incredibly skilled artisan who would dedicate like, you know, 10 hours a day to weaving this lace, just so you could have some cuffs, like the amount of time and energy that goes into it, I think is really, really lost on some people who aren't familiar with that. And there were little details of that in the Victor and Wolf show. Like, One of the dresses was like brown with these sort of blue and green paisley prints embroidered and sequined upon it. And when they placed sort of this vest version of the dress over it, the paisley matched up with the garment beneath it like flawlessly. So you almost couldn't see the second garment. Like just little moments like that where it's just so perfectly done. Really makes you see the quality of it.
0: Yeah, the sheer vest piece was one of my favorites. I mean, the final coat, completely gold. With like the gold beading, um, super heavy. Like, I just know exactly what that feels like. And maybe that's, you know, not super relatable, but like to me, that's like a lot of these Korean quilts that my grandma has had for like guests to sleep on or like sleep with and stuff. I never thought about like the price point of them. They were just, to me, associated with something different, which is just like, oh, this is my grandma's quilt. Maybe that can be discussed in a vocabulary of privilege, but. I think that's also really interesting to think about, like how much legacy is plays a role in that sort of like cyclical f- nature of fashion. Was there any specific legacy that you saw Victor and Rolf like making a reference to?
1: And re- references to like monarchy and like old money and very uh, like sort of Versailles type of ornateness, especially like the chandelier. And like you said, those incredibly heavy beaded garments where you just look at that and you're like, that must weigh like 40 pounds. Something that struck me, I guess, this isn't about legacy at the time it was created, but about future legacy. There were like two garments that were like these, I think, digitally printed, like bright sort of floral patterns. And then they were followed by like a coat with an embroidered floral pattern on it. But those two like bright floral, almost sundress-esque garments, I was like, that feels like something a TikToker would wear like right now. And it was really interesting to see how, I mean, fashion is cyclical and see how like it's, I mean, it's been about 20 years, but yeah, it's like brought been brought back and this feels very relevant. Oh my God. There were
0: 22
1: looks in this? Yeah. Imagine how hot that model must have been. Oh my gosh. I
0: like her straw dress.
1: I like the first one with the bow too.
0: Yeah. There were a lot of bows and flowers in this and something I've been thinking about for a while is, well... Firstly, like, I don't think many beauty rituals were passed down to me. And I know beauty rituals are a huge interest of yours academically. I don't think many were passed down to me. But one that was is that my mom keeps every like item of clothing ever. Like, she has so many. Like, the thing I was wearing in the last episode was like, a knitted, woolly tank. She has had that for almost 30 years now. That's like not an exaggeration at all. She has shoes from like the 80s, 90s that she just resold once. Like she's very careful with her stuff. She's very careful with her clothing. And so it's been really easy for me to always go back and find something that is trending now. That was trending then. You know, she has all of these knit berets that came back. Uh, All of her like weird little caps came back. Like her baker's boys caps, you know, that she tried to dress me in in the 2000s. And I was like, what is this? Like they they were back, for briefly in the 2010s. I love that. Um, the 2010s. <laughs> yeah, the knit tank, like so baggy, so ugly, but like now I'm like, oh, this is so spring and cute, you know, and something that. I've been holding on to that. I'm like, when is this going to come back into like mainstream, like my age style? Which is another thing to think about, right? Like maybe something will trend with our generation that doesn't trend with like the teenager generation whenever it does come back is brooches. I know pins, people do, but even so, pins aren't like a necessity. You know what I mean? Every year there's a sundress and it's a necessity. Like pins have not had their moment yet. Brooches really haven't had their moment yeah and I'm wondering like because every time I look at something like a piece of clothing or an accessory or something and I'm like why do like where do they even find the space in their brain to be like oh yeah that's what I want on this outfit it comes back, you know? And then I'm like, how could I not? How could I not?
1: <laughs> Brooches are interesting because I don't think I mean when was the last thing they wore in fashion? Like eighties, nineties? Like I don't my mom has a couple that she wore like decades ago, but I haven't seen any in so long.
0: I don't even think they were really in in the 90s because, like, I'm trying to think of, like, 90s office wear and I don't I don't remember any brooches. It's, like, strictly, like, my, like, church ladies who are, like, at least in their 60s, you know?
1: I mean, it's something that was very, like, 30s, 40s, you know? I feel like because it was a way of having... This is a theory that I have done no research on. I feel like it's kind of a way of having jewelry and, like, sprucing up an outfit that's, like very low cost you know at a time when resources were limited it's like you can make the same suit look quite different with like adding a little brooch or something and it probably wasn't as expensive as like you know pearl earrings or you know
0: which is exactly what i wanted to say when you were talking about like the lace frill and that taking a year's worth of work is that um a lot of people in like the 1910s right they had lace collars that they could put over their everyday dresses to make their everyday dress fancier you know so that's kind of a role brooches played I guess like 20-30 years later and when is it going to come back because I have a drawer full of brooches and I'm not getting rid of them you know
1: <laughs> okay well this kind of bleeds into something that I was thinking about while watching the Glossier videos and I'm going to put my own relationship to Glossier as you know of course the leaned into the cliche of White Girlness. The Coco bottle, 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 one specifically. That was my very first interaction to Glossier as a brand. I'd heard the name from my friend in high school, but I wasn't super into makeup at the time. Didn't wasn't, you know, didn't really know things. But I was just starting to get into makeup when that video came out, like I watched it and it blew my mind. That video feels like the epitome of like Tumblr kind of at the time. I mean, obviously, so many different iterations of Tumblr, but that was like, at least in my life, it was like the peak moment of like Tumblr and high key into that aesthetic. And I, as I rewatch them today, because I have not watched either of those videos in quite some time, I rewatched them both today. And the cocoa Bottle Bottle one specifically, I'm like, oh, that like Tumblr niche and like that specific video, like Proto Cottage Core. Like, I feel like I can see like a direct line. From the way that those aesthetics developed, you know? Elaborate. Kind of that like effortless look, or like in the bottom, like the second shot is like of her sink, but it's from above, and there's like this single like pink rose there, like laid on the like old fashioned like porcelain sink. Who the hell keeps a rose like that on the bathroom sink? No one does that.
0: My first thought was like the bacteria.
1: I was like, it's gonna mold.
0: And also, like, I'm in the habit of wiping down my sink area every time it gets wet, and that would just be such a pain to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, but there's, like, that, the, like, vintage silk robe she wears and, like, the coffee and, like, the fresh peach, and it's very, like, simple but, like, a, like very feminine with all these, like, vintage elements, but not in an old-fashioned way. The part where she's like, oh, I'm going to read my magazines, you know, she's not reading really them. <laughs> I bet dollars to die. She does not read them. Like I'm sorry. I'm sure she's very smart, and I'm sure she reads a lot. But she's like flipping through the Gentlewoman one. I'm like, you're not reading that. Like,
0: I actually thought that those moments, and in the Delilah one at the end, there being like a little blooper, even though ostensibly there should be no bloopers. It's just them talking to the camera, even if they mess up something. It's not. It's supposed to be natural or whatever. I actually thought that was kind of like a wink, wink, and it made middle, made them a little more not tolerable. Like I don't want to sh- I don't want to talk down on them. Like they clearly had an impact on people and so they deserve the credit for having that power, I guess, for better or for worse. But yeah. Um what you're making me think of now is how there is a real sense of like heritage in cottagecore, especially because it's so I guess like as it has become more mainstream, cottagecore has like disengaged itself from like queerness and like women's queerness. But like at its root, it's like really about like women going off into the cottage to be lesbian you know and so there is this like sense of heritage in there but it's interesting to me now because that rose on the bare like the really like undecorated French apartment is such like an urbane and like even maybe going back to like roaring 20s in France feeling and it's like like a total betrayal of what cottagecore is supposed to be which is almost this Thoreau esque, we are sustainability queens. Like we disengage from consumerism and capitalism. Blah blah blah. Like,
1: okay, like you're right. I don't think that like those videos were like the root of cottage core because you're right. There is this legacy of cottage core that existed probably way earlier than 2016, but I'm thinking of like this mainstream aestheticized version of it.
0: No, I'm saying that you're like right. I think like cottage thinks it's rooted in this dickinson thorough legacy but the aesthetic of cottagecore right now is informed by just the same glossier shit that it is informing all the minimalists and all the cool girls and all of the models off duty you know
1: because it's such a soothing aesthetic and it's very like self-assuring and gratifying to be like yeah i'm into cottagecore because like like you said, it's become sort of keyed in with this idea. Of, like if you say you're in cottage cottagecore, it's like, oh, you're sustainable, you know. But it's not. It's just another vehicle for consumerism. Um. So many things about that video, like both of them, was like so strange for me because they feel like still quite relevant and quite aesthetically modern. Even though it's been a couple of years, like four or five years, I thought it was funny. She used a glossy skin tint. She was shade dark.
0: I wanted to get to this topic. I was going to wait until we got to it. I don't want to like push it. But I definitely remember in the 2010s, there was this shift toward not only like the curvy body, the ass coming into play, but obviously this shift into ethnically ambiguous women becoming desirable. And like, yes, there was tanning before then for sure. But now it became this like ethnically ambiguous, like a real woman type of thing. And I feel like Coco is such a prototype, I feel like is objectifying, but like she is like, she represented that ideal and it felt like Glossier, like making a move in that trend, you know?
1: And Glossier has really kind of followed through on that move. Like they really have capitalized on that or not even like no longer ethnically ambiguous. Um, I think they've also started in their their branding to capitalize on like black models uh, significantly, despite the fact that they're still the out of the gloss movement former Glossier workers who worked in the showroom who discussed, like, the casual racism that they experienced and of how, like, you know, of course, all of headquarters was white, um, but it's just, like, it's the storeroom, like, front-facing staff and customer-facing staff that are, you know, all these people of color and, like, LGBTQ people. Like, Glossier did, I feel, really, like, was ahead of the curve on being able to market themselves in that way.
0: Right. All of this, like, ambiguity like, lukewarm inclusivity, you know, or, like, non-explicit inclusivity. It's, like, these white girls who kind of look mixed, or these black girls who are being, like, lauded above other black girls, you know? Um, Then you throw an Asian in there, and then, like, even that serves as, like, no, 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 see? She's, like, actually Asian. She's just—she's not just, like, a white girl
1: who's tan. On a side note, in Delilah's video, if you go down in the comments, there's a whole like YouTube comment argument about what her ethnicity is. I was scrolling through the comments what like after I watched them because I was like a lot of them are from like right when they were published, obviously, and it's kinda interesting to see like what people were saying. People got into a whole thing about whether or not Delilah is Latina. I don't even know if she is
0: the, the need to talk about that, like when a person is clearly white, is how Glossier has established these like unpaid mercenaries defending their like morality and their like choice their inclusivity
1: choices or whatever that feels like such a great way of putting it honestly
0: yeah like glossier rewards people other people for saying glossier is inclusive so that glossier itself doesn't have to really say it
1: did you see one of the more recent get ready with me videos where it was this older white woman i've seen her ads she has white hair right I mean, she's blonde, so, uh, but she's, like, in her 30s in her, like, extremely sterile, modern New York apartment. And it was, like, fairly recently, within the last year, all the comments, everyone hated it. It was, like, because there's, like you said, there's this sort of, like, relatable, loose, like, calm vibe to these early videos that Glossier produced, that they're, like, they're casual, they're candid. And also, like, they were really careful about who they selected so that these girls are relatable to, like, a wide range of people. And I think youth is also an aspect of it. And then this, like, older woman who's clearly absurdly rich. Like, I bet that apartment has a view of, like, Central Park somewhere in there. With, like, this very stiff performance with, like, much more awkward, like, tense product placement. Like, it was kind of weird to watch, like, everything fall apart in one video. They didn't like it had none of the tenets of like the original Glossier get Ready with me and it just boom I don't know that was just really strange because like it was hard for me to define what made Glossier so successful in its initial videos and then I saw that video I'm like well now I know everything that they're not <laughs> like
0: well yeah if you refuse to say anything and you kind of like depend on tiptoeing around an issue for your reputation to remain intact then as soon as somebody is straight up with you everything falls apart like, on an interpersonal, in an interpersonal sense, if anyone is talking behind your back and you literally go up to them and you confront them, like, their whole thing falls apart. Their whole shtick, it's gone. <laughs> because it took one person to, like, see through it and, like, punch through it, you know? I don't know. I feel like I'm shit-talking glossy a lot. They're definitely not unique in their approach. Like, a lot of people capitalize
1: on this, like, ambiguous morality... And, like, they've done, like, a couple things, like, establishing, like, funds for, like, black-owned beauty businesses and things like that, like, grants.
0: Yeah, and again, like, for better or for worse, they clearly resonate with people. And so that in itself is interesting to examine and, like, credit them for. Whatever it
1: is, they did tap in to something. <laughs> this is, like, cycling back a couple of topics, but something that became Known to me at a very like around the same time as these Glossier videos first became known to me, was the Margaret Atwood quote. uh You know it, obviously. The man watching a woman. Watch. Male fantasies, male <laughs> fantasies is everything. <laughs> run by male fantasies. Up on a pedestal or down on your knees, it's all a male fantasy. That you're strong enough to take what they dish out, or else two weeks to do anything about it. Even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen. Pretending you have a life of your own. That you can wash your feet, comb your hair, unconscious of the ever-present watcher peering through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head, if nowhere else. You are a woman with a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. I feel like those two kind of like struck at the same time. Um, at least in my like Tumblr sphere. I did
0: not see this quote until later in high school, and this is after I had spent all of middle school, most of high school. Like, this was a huge thing for me. I was like, I please, please, please just want to be two-dimensional. I was like, I want to stop thinking about everything I do and instead just do it. I want to stop thinking about how this appears. I want to stop having these... Looking back, they're kind of like compulsions. Like, they're very compulsive. How I, What I thought they were was just like, I was too careful. I just, I knew too much, it felt like. Like, I could see too much. Getting into a more Atwoodian vocabulary, like I was too aware of how I looked, how I seemed, how I could control how I looked or seemed. That was the problem. If maybe I was just aware of how I was looked or seen, fine, whatever. Maybe that would have been a different problem. But I was aware that I could control it or at least influence it and that drove me fucking nuts because then I had to do it. I can't leave, like, a stone unturned, you know? And that's why, like, looking back, they were kind of compulsion-y, and I feel like I need to investigate that. But it was, like, so
1: difficult for me. Yeah. I don't know.
0: What's your story <laughs> with this
1: quote? A similar thought of, like, once I got to the point in my life where I was, like, I want to look like these, you know, like, the girls in the Glossier videos. Like, I want to be them and have that life and, like, that... You know, perfect aesthetically pleasing that the ease that they have. I think that's like kind of, um, or like obviously, this is something that developed long before them. That's kind of something that like propelled my eating disorder. I was like, you know, I just need to, if I achieve that size, I will achieve that life. Like they were obviously deeply correl- correlated in my mind, falsely. And it was like, I just need to be that way. Like, there's no other option. It's the only, the only way to be, you know. And that was fake. <laughs> those videos specifically and, like, my introdu- introduction to, like, aesthetics on Tumblr and different sort of, like, niche aesthetics that developed on that website really, like, resonated with me and shaped me, like, fundamentally during my teenage years towards, like, always striving for this ideal of, like, ease in that very, like, effortless feminine way. I mean, now I'm just, like, rolling back around to my manifesto. So... <laughs>
0: discuss your manifesto
1: i wrote it kind of on a whim it's like one page it i just wrote it to try and verbalize exactly what i wanted aesthetically because i feel like i've spent you know years point years point years being absolutely bombarded by image after image after image of things i like want and can't have and can't afford and like things to buy that i can arrange them on my nightstand in the perfect way you know and it was just really sickening and exhausting And so I wrote this manifesto to kind of like reground myself in terms of what like what I wanted out of aesthetics and what I wanted out of like makeup and what I aspire and strive for is this idea of expression and intention behind the way I present myself aesthetically. Understanding how so much of my aesthetic values are rooted in like this this desire to be thin, this desire to be thin, this desire to be rich. And these historical concepts of whiteness are like a huge role player and of femininity as well like have shaped my my aesthetic values and understanding that and trying to use aesthetics not as a tool to conform to those values but to identify my own values and to express myself in a genuine way as opposed to conceal and conform myself coming out
0: of sort of training myself out of these compulsions or healing myself out of them i couldn't really understand my friends who like you or uh other friends who like went to school focused on like art design fashion whatnot I didn't really understand how like a relationship with expressing yourself could be positive because for me like when I was more focused on expressing myself through my clothing or my makeup namely when I was like in high school it always started at a good place. Like it always, like me alone in my room, it always was like, oh yeah, this looks good. And then the problem was thinking that, that, that I would feel that way, that feel that good the whole day. The problem wasn't even like with like other people or like comparing myself to other people, really. It's like all this stuff. And so I really like decoupled my happiness from my sense of expression, I think. At a certain point, I just couldn't imagine like, finding joy in expression anymore. And it weirded me out to see like my friends who have struggled with self-image and with like eating disorders, other mental illnesses, spending so much time on Instagram still and really like seeming like they enjoyed it. Like I just, I guess I just didn't understand how they could have such a negative relationship and then ever possibly have a positive relationship with it. But I just realized like there's a system, right? Like you, Instagram, other people on the other side of that, your self-esteem. Like it's kind of like a little machine. My problem was in a different part of the machine than you or my other friends who are like very artistically inclined. Like you can love aesthetics and you can love doing your makeup, doing your hair, choosing your clothes, like trying on new aesthetics and still have a really bad or really good relationship with that process.
1: I feel like this kind of ties in a question that, like, I had written about the Glossier specifically, is, like, it's literally, it's this idea of bringing this invasive gaze, like, the male gaze, the camera, into your home, into what's supposed to be an incredibly, like, private, intimate moment, and capitalizing on that. Do you think that's something that could ever be, like, do you think it has the potential to be a positive aspect? Like, do you think it has the potential to be empowering for the people who film it, for the people who watch it? I mean, it's product placement, obviously.
0: The glossy videos specifically, I'm not sure. But I do think that the reason why people perform a lot, literally when no one's watching, you know, you go into your room, you turn on some music, you feel like you're in a movie, or you feel like you're the main character. Not only like a romanticization, and that's a whole other topic that I I think I have much less insight into, but it feels like success. Because you are presented with all of these characters these women characters who are like effortlessly feminine effortlessly what it means to be a woman and of course there's the trick right is because the writers are writing what it means to be a woman and you're taking that message like it's like written in stone and so when you do something like your favorite character you feel successful you feel like you succeeded at being a woman and i just don't think that could ever really empower someone it might make you feel good I guess, like, this kind of goes back to something we discussed in, like, our second or third episode about, like, when you wear lingerie, you feel really in touch with your body. That is empowering, but, like, what if you took the performative aspect out of it? What if you took the performative success out of it? Would it still be empowering? Maybe it would be, like, sensual, and that could be,
1: like, you know, empowering. In the time span between that episode and this time, I feel like I have, like, an addendum. Addendum? Addendum. Addendum. I have an addendum to like that statement. I feel like something, like back to what you were talking about, like compulsions and self-expression. Something that I was like fixated on for a long time is I felt like other people always looked so clean and so neat. You know, like if they wore a white T-shirt and jeans, they just look crisp and fresh. But if I wore a white T-shirt and jeans, like I looked raggedy, kind of like you know something I dragged off the floor. You know. And, like, lingerie, like, my approach to that, like, it was a way for me to feel like I was put together, like I was making an effort, like I had it together. Because something about it sem- seemed more, like, precise and more, like, finished and, like, polished than just, like, regular underwear. But I feel like having written my manifesto, like, as I've reflected on it and, like, looked through my own wardrobe, I realize a lot of times, like, what I'm – there are other ways to achieve that feeling other than visuals. I think that this is something I'm really focused on as well. And like, okay, it's not like I smell like B.O., at least it's not as far as I know, um, hopefully. Um, or it's not like I have like bad breath, obviously. But like, I've started this habit where in the evening before I go to sleep, I spray perfume on, which is like so goofy, but it's so nice. Like when I fall asleep and I have like perfume on and it just feels like very luxurious and decadent, but like literally no one will smell it. It will be gone by the time I wake up. Or aspects like having an organized closet, even though it changes nothing about the clothes that I put on, somehow when I put on the same clothes, when it's from that organized space, it feels much more like intentional and in what I wanted. Or having things like clean sheets and like doing. Have you ever done one of those like deep cleanse showers? Where you're like, I'm gonna exfoliate and like shave and like deep condition and like put body lotion on, and then like when you do all those like rituals and steps. Even though you end up kind of in the same place where you were, it feels different.
0: I think I should amend my own statement then because to me it feels like succeeding, but to other people, it feels like something else like they're a reset or I guess care,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know for me, it makes me feel like I have it together, and like I feel like that's kind of like my big conflict in life is I feel like i don't I have nothing under control, you know, and I have nothing together and I'm My life is a mess, but like if my room is clean and I took a nice shower and I have a fresh cup of coffee and I'm like in fresh clothes, I have one thing under control. Like that's, that's a start.
0: This would be a really fun time to take the Enneagram test because that's a personality system that defines you based on your core fear, which is just the flip side of your core desire.
1: the Helper.
0: Interesting. Hold on, I'm like not even halfway through it. Do you think I'm even tempered or temperamental?
1: You're even tempered. Your temper may not be what everyone wants, but it's even- (laughs) I'm just it's me all the way through. I don't. I'm so
0: uninteresting to myself, though. Like I like literally. I am. I am. I don't care as I take this test. I'm like, who cares? (laughs) What did that that say?
1: Like, tell me who
0: I am. Oh my god. Also, another thing is, like, I haven't rated a single one all the way to one side or another. Okay, I see the end. Hold on. Am I confident or insecure?
1: You're very confident. Confident doesn't, like, I don't know. I never be confident. It's like, I'm the best. I just means, like, I know who I am.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Oh my god. Indifferent versus caring. (laughs) Don't care. I just don't care. Um, Okay. I already know what type I am. I don't know why I did this so stupid and i got the same type so okay i'm a five the investigator i literally already know that <laughs> um i can tell you all about them um i like know all the types so what did you get for your second choice though i think that's really important because a lot of women get type two and it's not really their type it's like their socialized type
1: and let's see what is type
0: six? Oh, okay that makes sense to me can you tell me the third one too actually Normal, there is, like, a tri-type version where, like, you are three of the types.
1: Two, six, I, like, match up with quite strongly, and three very much less slow. so.
0: I think maybe the same thing is underlying your two—type two underlies your type three. So type two is the helper. A lot of women get it, and I think you can guess why. The helper's core fear is, like—I mean, there's a lot of ways to phrase it, but it's, like, basically not being able to be there for somebody or also not being useful. And so type three is a little similar because type three is more like like not having achieved something. Three is the achiever. So three is kind of like this question of worth as defined by outer things. And then two is the question of worth as defined by their relationships with other people. Six, I think, is actually quite accurate for you. Six is the most common type, though, so maybe just a lot of people fit into that. Their main priorities, if you think of like the inner world as like a tent, People are the pegs holding down that tent. So six again is a very people-oriented person. They're very interested in like what's going on in the pe- in the lives of the people around them. They're also very sort of security-oriented, which means they are more prone to think about what might threaten the relationships and the world they have with the people that are important
1: to them. What they have here written about six is interesting to me. That like six is often Don't understand the extent of their own fear because it's like the backdrop to all their emotions, like this anxiety that they hold, and therefore they no longer like notice it and don't understand how deep it runs. That kind of hits hard.
0: I think a lot of sixes, but I mean humans in general, justify their fear as it being pragmatic. And by acknowledging that it's pragmatic, they refuse to acknowledge that maybe actually it's not that useful and maybe actually it's hurting you. (laughs) Five is the investigator. The fives core fear is being unprepared unskilled so fives they won't make a move until they're absolutely sure in themselves that they are prepared to make that move and so in that way the fives world is very like self-oriented and at the same time though it's like very externally oriented because it's how they perceive the world versus themselves you know so how do you feel
1: <laughs> again i feel like i've been read to filth but i don't know what to do with it <laughs>
0: What did you resonate
1: with in, like, maybe the two or the... Um, the two I resonate with, because I do feel like I am kind of, like, a very... I am a very giving person. I love to spoil people in my life, and I love to be useful to them and to, like, do things that make them happy. But I do also feel like it's, <laughs> again, red to filth, um the part where they're, like, people who are type 2s, like, they also have emotional needs, but they often don't acknowledge them and then become resentful when they're not met when they aren't appreciated for the work that they do, even though they do it, like, voluntarily. And I do feel like that is a pitfall of mine.
0: You are absolutely, like, that is what a two is, in terms of their strengths and weaknesses and what they can offer and what they, like, what burdens they place on other people. I always think of the two and, like, a cancer as interchangeable in terms of their sort of flaws, is that a cancer is known to get resentful as well when their, like, services aren't appreciated. And also cancers are a cardinal sign, so they're very, like they are the project managers. They are the project launchers, you know? It's just in like this maternal humanist way. So like they can be manipulative without realizing it. Um, I have a page up that's like the two and five relationship if you wanna, okay? So that's you and me. It says twos and fives are double opposites. <laughs> a people person versus a loner, a feeling type with a thinking type. Now while this crosses over, I feel like with like Myers-Briggs and I'm definitely a feeling type. But anyways, twos and fives come from different points of view on what is important in life and in a relationship, but they are a more common pairing than might be expected because twos see fives as challenges. Uh, It's hard to know what pleases fives, which makes twos only try harder. (laughs) Twos have a willingness to take the initiative.
1: So That's me when I'm trying to figure out a birthday gift for you.
0: (laughs) For their part, fives are usually very loyal. They find relationships complex and difficult, so they tend to value one that begins to work, and they tend to put their energy into it. I think that's very true. Um, Fives bring stability and quiet, dispassionate, good judgment, and objectivity, particularly in crises. Let's see, when fives focus, they are good listeners, they are not as attached to outcomes. And so can make decisions more wisely and be good advisors to more emo- emotionally volatile twos. Why is this so mean to you? <laughs> what the heck? Twos enjoy seeing that their attention and affections have had positive visible out- effects on the five, and five secretly like being doted over and finally finding the nurturing they have unconsciously been seeking out. Should we talk about our um, trouble spots?
1: Did they not already go over your trouble spots? <laughs>
0: twos tend to become frustrated by the fives' lack of immediate response to them because it feels like a rejection. And feeling rejected triggers deep anxieties in twos, relating to the fear that they are unwanted and unloved. Um, this may make them redouble their efforts. But the more intrusive twos become, the more fives internally withdraw and detach emotionally from what feels like a threat to their autonomy and competence.
1: It's just anxious avoidance, avoiding attachment itself.
0: Well... So this page, I'm realizing, is about romantic relationships. You're the one who said that I am similar to. Him. <laughs> like, this could be him. I don't know.:
1: It would be weird detection to ask him to take an enneagram and tell me what his answer was.
0: but yeah, that would be crazy ex-behavior for sure.:
1: The, the part what they said about like providing stability does not feel accurate to me. I mean, not for you for him.
0: I don't know. Maybe like if you believe that somebody believes in themselves... Anyways, I'm gonna go to something fun, which is, like, famous twos. Bishop Desmond Tutu. This is you. This is twos, okay? Eleanor Roosevelt. Nancy Reagan. Monica Lewinsky. Mary Kay of Mary Kay Cosmetics. Richard Simmons. Wait, maybe I should read some of these Italian names because you, they might be designers and I may just not know. Leo Buscaglia. Luciano Pavarotti. Is he a designer?
1: He's an uh, opera singer. Oh,
0: okay. Um, Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Dolly Parton, Josh Groban, Bobby McFerrin, I know him, Paula Abdul, Priscilla Presley, Elizabeth Taylor, Arsenio Hall, Melanie from Gone with the Wind, Eve Harrington from All About Eve, and Dr. McCoy from Star Trek. Do you feel good about that? (laughs) I feel okay. I don't know. So on this particular website, Enneagram Institute, one of my favorite sections is the levels of development and it goes from healthy to unhealthy. So here's you're at your best, okay? You're deeply unselfish, humble, and altruistic. You give unconditional love to yourself and to others. You feel it is a privilege to be in the lives of others. Let's go to level nine because this is where they randomly just give you disorders that this person might have able to excuse and rationalize what they do since they feel abused and victimized by others and are bitterly resentful and angry. Somatization of their aggressions results in chronic health problems as they vindicate themselves by falling apart and burdening others generally corresponds to the histrionic personality disorder and fictitious disorder. (laughs) Why does this website do this?
1: That just went from, like, they're incredibly, like, kind and selfless and loving to, like, these are, like, messy, manipulative assholes. okay i just want some affection please stop calling me a bitch
0: (laughs) i'll do my best and then the bad stuff okay fives at their best become visionaries broadly comprehending the world while penetrating it profoundly (laughs) open-minded take things in whole in their true context make pioneering discoveries and find entirely new ways of doing and perceiving things cool okay seeking oblivion they may commit suicide or have a psychotic break with reality deranged explosively self-destructive with schizophrenic overtones generally corresponds to the schizoid avoidant and schizotypal personality disorders addictions poor eating and sleeping habits due to minimizing needs neglecting hygiene and nutrition lack of physical activity psychotropic drugs for mental stimulation and escape narcotics for anxiety some 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 of it resonates (laughs) the first person listed for me is the Buddha so that's the goal
1: (laughs) (laughs) she's gonna go penetrate that world (laughs) yeah I don't know I feel like discussing like personality types and horoscopes is like very it's like kind of part of this genre of like feminine media consumption in this day and age
0: definitely because like okay I will admit it watching the Coco thing which I've never watched before next day it affected how I put on my makeup very next day I was like I am a cool girl (laughs) <laughs> and i do cool shit like
1: i love that video like i i'm not obsessed with the get these videos like that's like when i'm like recentering myself i'm like i'm gonna go watch those videos and be like i'm gonna pull it together
0: oh my god that's not good like that's what i mean like they do have a power and the simple power is like our need to define ourselves we want to understand who we are. And because Glossier and other media, media consumption, brands, whatever, like they provide a large enough gray area for everyone to feel like they're this, they're this
1: Glossier girl. It's like the perfect balance of relatability and like aspiration.
0: Yes. You're like so close that you feel like you can do it. And then it's so devastating when you like look in the mirror and you're like, why isn't this working? Why am I not? Coco Why am I not? Lily Rose dip. It's because you are. <laughs> like. And it does come all the way around to this idea of like, we should be getting rid of the idea of pretty as it is, as opposed to being like, oh, everyone's pretty. There is no world in which everyone feels pretty all the time.
1: This reflection on like, you know, you want it so bad and you're so close to being like that girl, that person with that life. And then you like look in the mirror and you're like, but I'm not her. And it just like crashes down. And like reflecting on my response was like I need to be that girl so I can give other people like that feeling you know like why was I that mean like
0: (laughs) oh oh I get what you mean I thought you meant it in like an inspirational way and I was like that's weird but I see what you mean like we lash out then based on our insecurity
1: yeah I was like I need to to be perfect and like win in that way and I was like damn what a cool thing to think about the rest of the world
0: (sighs) I know and that's what like this insecure flex is all about it's because I need to assert that and I need to see I need to have even the smallest feeling that maybe this person thinks of me in the way that I want to think about myself
1: oh, yeah I feel like that was something that like recently I realized that like I mean obviously I'm not prepared it's like it's not first of all no one will ever think of me in the exact way I want them to think of me you know like they're just their perception of me is just always going to be different. And even if they really value and, like, love and cherish me, they're never going to, like, love and cherish me in exactly the way I want them to, you know? They're never going to respect or admire me in the way I want them to because they just won't, you know, that's not how it works. And, like, you just have to be able to, give, like, do it yourself. (laughs) Like, stop waiting for someone else to, like, love you exactly the way you want to be loved or, like, to think of you the way you want to be thought of. Like, think of yourself that way.
0: Yeah. In regards to that, needing to assert my vision of myself in someone else, uh, I kind of had a thought the other day, um, and this will sound antithet- antithetical? antithetical to like what we just said, but if in my reality I am that cool girl and someone else comes up to me and says, you're not even that cool... I'm not living in their body. I'm not living in their mind. Like, it literally does not matter what this person says. Like, my reality is that I'm cool. And then if they're like, well, in my reality, you're not cool and our realities are equal. I'm like, that's great. However, I was born in this brain. I wasn't born in your consciousness. Like, this, the world is a projection. (laughs) And it's my projection,
1: (laughs) you know? Like, you can watch your projection over there. And, like, they exactly. are equal. Cool.
0: No, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a huge theater full of infinite projections. However, I'm sitting in this room, and I can't get out of this room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I might as well make it fun to watch, you know?
0: Right, yeah. Like, I will never have to experience me the way that you experience me. I only have to experience me the way I, I experience me.
1: It's like that Lord song. Um, she's like, I light all the candles, like, put flowers in every room. I care for myself the way that I used to care about you and I feel like that's something where when I think about my past romantic relationships and like moving forward from them and like very much type two-esque in that like I love giving gifts and I love spoiling people and I love like doing like small thoughtful things for like my partner and it's like I don't have that outlet anymore and I'm like I want to do that but I still like gifts and like you know set 10 things you would like But I'm like I can just take all that energy and like give it to my friends like <laughs> I can just why would I why would I think about, like, you know, showing love and affection and appreciation for someone who, like, you know, doesn't doesn't want it when I could do it for people who want it and deserve it? You know, like a like myself and B like like my friends.
0: That's very much something that would resonate with it too. I think I love manifesting in these like acts of service and appreciation. I think that's really nice.
1: I had this thought the other day where I was like, I want to take my friends out on dates. Like, obviously, not romantically, but, like, I want to take my friends out to a nice restaurant, and when we get, like, dressed up, like, do our makeup, and, like, I'll show up with flowers. We'll have wine, and we'll, like, get dessert, and... Are you going to (laughs) pay? Yes, of course. That's the point. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. I'm like, that would be so nice. Like, just to spoil them, you know?
0: That sounds really nice, actually. I... I've been thinking this for a while, but, like, there's so few things you really get to celebrate. Like, yeah, your birthday, maybe an anniversary, like, and honestly, maybe, like, celebrating an anniversary is, like, a big reason why people stay friends or even in relationships. Because, like, you get to have someone to do things with.
1: I've never celebrated an anniversary. I was in a relationship for two years and I did not get a single anniversary (laughs) celebration. Oh, were you guys on a break every anniversary? I'm like, that's a fun coincidence. That definitely doesn't say anything at all about your, like, relationship to commitment. (laughs) There is this John Berger quote uh, from Ways of Seeing that. This is, like, from someone else's analysis of Get Ready Me videos. that says, the desire to become an object of envy and embody a publicity image that is something that steals her love of herself as she is and offers it back for her for the price of the, the product.
0: It appropriates someone's self-esteem something that should belong to them and is under their control and puts it in the dollar like it translates it into dollars for
1: the product and it's so I don't that's just something I'm reflecting on with this episode and with these videos is how fully I've like I once bought into those things like I can list off the exact products like I had a list of like when I get the like use your brush and comb and when I get the like biologique research like toner and when i get like the chanel nail polish and when i get the glossier like makeup and then like once i get all those things then i'm set like it'll be good i'll be that cool girl you know
0: literally a dollar amount
1: like it was such specific brands and specific objects and specific colors like i had pinned down exactly like so precisely exactly what object was going to fix it you know
0: And I think, like, one thing that shouldn't be overlooked is, like, once you realize this, like, that someone has appropriated your self-esteem, the guilt alone is also so crushing. Because you're like, then who am I? (laughs) And you're like, am I really only this good? Like, am I really only good enough to, like, be scammed, essentially? Like, something, like, it is the feeling of being scammed and being betrayed and, not knowing really, I, I think like maybe I might still be stuck there because I haven't really found a way to express myself in a way that adds to my life. You know what I mean? Like every time I express myself, it feels more like making myself more vulnerable still.
1: I feel like the way I've come to like, to try and build a different way of expressing myself is like also through making my own clothes. It becomes like an act and there's consciousness around it. And like the actual work that I put in and like the pride I have in my work, I think really makes a huge difference to me. But it always also like like sometimes I still slip into that where I'm like, Oh, if I just had that dress or if I just got that lipstick again, like not to bring up like past partners too often, but like I remember like feeling like I was being belittled or kind of like looked down upon whenever I expressed like, you know, that I that I have bought in to that that mindset you know when I was like oh I want this thing or like you know this or like oh I want to buy that lipstick and being like oh like why do you care about that you know and it's like yeah like you're right I shouldn't care about that those things won't fix my self-esteem and I'm working on like erasing that mindset but also like it's something I've been socialized to believe in for like 23 years straight so like we're trying (laughs) and we've come a long way but it's still something that exists in the back of my head.
0: That kind of makes me think of like clean eating and like how that makes this binary between clean foods and dirty foods and how intuitive eating has kind of like come to sort of usher that away. Like you should eat based on what you want. And like, so it's obvious in the system of intuitive eating that you can imbibe things that are not nutritional to your body and still be living in a healthy way, right? Like you can eat chocolate, which is bad for you, but that fits that bad thing or whatever fits into a healthy lifestyle. And so I feel like since we do live in a consumerist world where we are mainly (laughs) agents of spending money, there must be a way that like I want that fucking Chanel. Like I really want that nail polish. It seems cool. And I and I do think I want it because it's cool, not because like it's gonna make me cool or whatever. There's a way for me to Buy that and get that joy the same way you get a dopamine rush when you take a bite of a Kit Kat or whatever to put on like that nail polish and get that dopamine rush. And that to not just be like a neutral part of a healthy lifestyle, but a positive addition with a role in it.
1: And for me, like, so much of that is like it's just about impulse control around spending and like not buying things until I like let it sit for like at least a week or two and like considered it, things like that. And that also, like, is an aspect of my concept of self-care is, like, financially taking, like, ma- being able to stick to a budget is an important part of self-care for me. But also, like, finding ways where, like, oh, if I want something new, like, a dress or something, like, seeing if I can, like, make it. And that way I can satisfy, like, both needs of, like, okay, I can, like, have that object that I want. But I also have, like, the longer, more sustainable sort of endorphins of, like, having made something and having learned a new skill. Yeah, satisfy both needs. Hi everyone, thank you so much for listening in with us. This has been the second week of May with our podcast Versus All Trash. Our theme for the month is self-capture and our theme for this week was your own voyeur. Please follow us on social media at Versus All Trash on Instagram and wherever you happen to get your podcast, Apple Music, Spotify, etc. We're also on YouTube. And also our personal social accounts at, at R-R-R-Y-E-N. And also at Katherine. See you
0: next
1: week. Bye.